Welcome to Random Assignment, everybody. We, those of us who are watching the show and not just listening, are looking at three numbers. It says grade four, 36%, grade eight, 35%. What trend do you think this is forming? And grade 12, <laughs> 22%. And this was the percentages of students who were testing proficient in science. And you think, oh, well, that's because coronavirus has been such a oh, yeah, that's horrible year it. of lost learning. And I'm sure kids forget a lot of their biology and their chemistry and their physics, you know, if they're if they have a whole year of hardly any learning. Oh no, actually oh. no, that's not it. Corey, what is it? This is the 2019 NAEP results that just came out a couple of days ago. We don't have results from this year. The latest results we have are these from 2019. So you thought these were bad, just wait until the learning loss comes into play for the next round of the nation's report card. Looks like looks like the, the numbers are getting lower over time. 36% in fourth grade, 35% in eighth grade, 22% in 12th grade. Maybe students are figuring out that uh, school system is, is a bunch of nonsense over time, and maybe they're not trying as hard. This NAEP test is called the Nation's Report Card. That's the other name for it. It's been given for decades, both by Republican and Democrat-led departments of education. Uh, the numbers are not so different. If there's any trend, they tend to slightly go lower over time. Uh, and so, and before you dismiss it and say, well, I, gee, I don't use biology in my job, and I don't use chemistry or physics in my job, try to remember we are in an increasingly technological age when companies that are taking over the world are computer companies or companies like Tesla. Uh, high tech is probably who owns high tech will own the future. And so that's what uh, that's where we're standing right now with public education in America. 22% of our high school seniors proficient. And pl please, again, I think most of us have forgotten most of the science that we learned in high school. Uh, there was a time when in chemistry class, I don't know about you, Corey, like you were looking at carbon compounds and trying to draw diagrams that were hexagonal of, you know, these bonds that would form with chemi certain chemical reactions. I couldn't do that anymore for sure. <laughs> and I'm sure most of our, our viewers and listeners couldn't either. But well, I mean, it doesn't mean just, science not, is not important. This kind of highlights what happened over the past year. I mean, we had the same people teaching or, or kind trying to teach our kids uh, these basic science concepts flooding into the streets, fighting against reopening the schools for in-person instruction when the preponderance of the scientific evidence consistently has shown that schools can safely reopen. Uh, so you had a ton of people in the system denying the science that has existed when it comes to opening schools safely uh, and the coronavirus. Oh, I see. You're making a connection to the COVID-19 <laughs> science. I see. Right. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we don't want the kids going back to these schools where they're getting these types of scientific instruction. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, there was a lot of reaction to this. Some people, of course, shrug and say, oh, it's always, you know, the tests are too hard, right? Oh, it's just, a, you know, Dime Ravage is fond of saying that uh, these, the proficient on the NAEP, she equates to an A. She says, oh, that's just the percentage of uh -huh. kids who would deserve an A. That's how she frames the low proficiency figures. Uh, Decide for yourself. Ask a kid. Ask a number of kids who are recent high school graduates. If you have to happen to see them somewhere in your in, in your uh, in your regular life in the supermarket or something wherever you go, just see. I don't know. See how much they 
what signs do they know? Uh, I did it a little bit actually when I was doing the cartel movie about 10 years ago. And uh, <laughs> I did it more math questions and also English questions. I mean, it's, you know, people laugh at it when it was those, remember those Jay Leno on the street things when he would go and ask people basic questions that they wouldn't know the answers. But yeah, we, we kind of did that ourselves when we were, we were making the cartel movie. And then I realized I didn't want to make the students look bad because that's kind of what happened when you're out there Oops. with the camera and you ask them a basic. I mean, there was there was a, 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 a kid. There was a, a girl who said science was her I mean, excuse me. Math was her favorite subject. I said, oh, where are you in math right now? She said, trigonometry. I said, oh, okay. So you've had algebra. Yes, I've had algebra. All right. And math is your favorite subject. Yes, it's my favorite subject, and I'm in trigonometry. Okay. So if 2x is 16, what's x? She mm. looked at me dumbfounded. Had no idea. It, it, yeah, what I is x? Not... Why, why are you throwing these letters at me? I thought we were doing math and numbers. I, I'm just I'm just trying to say yes. I think I think in some in some places, you know, what passes for for math and what passes for even letter grades that look good on report cards often result in very little retention. Yeah, and the last thing on Nape that I'll say um, from from these results is they they track these things over time. The previous, the most recent one before 2019 was in 2015, and for science at least in this most recent results. They found no change, no statistically significant change, at least since 2015 for eighth and 12th grade. But there was a statistically significant reduction uh, for the fourth grade results. So not getting any better. Uh, if anything, it looks like things are getting worse for science over time when it comes to the name. Right. And so and so one of the questions has been, what do you do about these kids who are learning so little and have had kind of an entire year of no learning? And the debate has come up. Do we hold kids back if they haven't learned? I actually have something, a, a kind of a radical thing I want to say a little later. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say it now, Corey. I want to uh -oh, tease uh -oh, this for later uh -oh. in the program. But I don't know. What do you think of it? So we came across a couple of news stories. I sent some of them to you that we posted at Choice Media. Uh, about districts of Baltimore, for example, saying like, yeah, we don't care how little they learned. As far as we're concerned, they're going on to the next grade. They could have literally learned nothing. And doesn't matter. Some students and parents want to repeat the law school year, it says right there. And yet, well, school leaders say no way. As far as we're concerned, another calendar year has gone by. That means you deserve to be in the next grade. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough because uh, I see where they're coming from with um, children have had, had a tough year and <laughs> they probably do this all the time anyway. Uh, but at the well, that's, same, that's the but at the thing, same yeah. time, if you're just awarding diplomas to people and just passing people through the system, then what's the point in even having the system if people aren't actually learning things and they're just going through the hoops for, for 12, 13 years? Uh, so it's, yeah. like, it's like you've been talking about along, uh, during the pandemic, Corey, that it wasn't that the public we just it wasn't just public schools started failing in the pandemic. It's that we learned public schools were failing. I mean, these NAEP scores are from 2019. They're pre-pandemic 22 percent science proficiencies in 12th grade. That's pre-pandemic. OK, and I'll just say the radical thing I'm going to say. All Is right. it time for us to get rid of this grade thing that's based on a year of time? Corey, are we finally is someone going to finally innovate and just say this is what you need to have learned by the, each grade? And let the time, uh, you know, as Sal Khan says of Khan Academy, let the variable be time rather than mm -hmm. the variable be how much you learn. Like what he says is in traditional public education, what's mm -hmm. fixed is the amount of time, mm -hmm. one year to go to the next grade. And what varies is how much do you happen to learn before you then move on to the next grade. 
He says that's backwards. What ought to be fixed is learning enough for at least mastery of the subject. And then some kids take longer, some kids take an average amount of time, some kids do it really quickly. That should be the variable, how long it takes. And then when you once you're proficient in that, then you move on to the next to the next yeah, level. Yeah, so, that, that makes sense to me. Why have kids stick around for a full year if they've gotten the content in maybe three quarters of that time or half of that time? And why does it make any sense to group children only by their age and where they live? It doesn't make any sense. Um, it's not how we go throughout the rest of our lives. Uh, right. We don't only interact with people that are exactly the same year of age as us. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, sorting kids just by their age and kind of their neighborhood in the neighborhood school system does a lot more harm than good uh, in that after they leave the system, they don't really know how to socialize that well with people outside of their age brackets. And so it's not really preparing them all that well for the real life. So yeah, I think uh, getting rid of the, the grade overly structured grade system could be a benefit. It's an assembly line factory model. That's how we got this. It's not because it made the most sense for kids. It's because, oh, this is a factory the way like a car is made by, you know, you have the axle and someone comes on and bolts on the wheel and then someone else comes on and I don't know, drops an engine in and it's like moves down the factory line. That's how, that's how this is structured to benefit the system. But now we're in an era when things can be personalized. Everything else in our life is so highly personalized. I mean, how many kinds of coffee can you get in practically any coffee shop in America? It seems like there's more all the time. You know, we, we're so highly personalized. I mean, buying things online and the specificity we can use to purchase products compared to a few years ago when you might have gone to the local store. So we're, we're stuck in this education paradigm where it's, you know, forget about individuality, right? There's no reason to forget about individuality. We have technology and tools and capability to personalize everything else. And, and this is how we could personalize education. You know, if you think about anything else that we do in our lives, it's more personalized and you don't have to wait for everybody else to finish. I mean, if you, even if you think about the higher education system for all the problems that it has, you can pick the classes you want at the times of the day that you want and uh, you can pick the levels of the classes that you want. You can finish the degree faster or slower than the average student, and you're not forced to do so um, uh, at a set number of 12, 13 years. Uh, I like to bring up all of these nonsense spewing from Randy Weingarten on a, on a weekly basis, and since we talked last time, there's been more surprise, surprise, and one of these things was reported on by Fox News, where Randy Weingarten went on to, I believe it was MB, MSNBC, uh, you know, complaining about how teachers are so tired from the past year. Yeah, they're exhausted, and, she said. And, and exhausted. they're exhausted. And, you know, a lot of people responded by saying, you know, what are they so tired about? And yeah, here's the tweet that quoted her from the union account, quoted her uh, appearance on, on air that said, quote, teachers are tired. They are exhausted. We have to find a way to repair and nourish them as well as families in terms of attracting and re retaking. And I will say, by the way, this whole thread quoting Randy from the teachers union had so many grammatical errors and spelling mistakes throughout. Here's another one that had a thousand replies in elementary schools <laughs> until we have the vaccines. It seems like unfortunately 
Wow. We, we still going to have to keep wearing our masks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thousand replies to that one. Almost. Uh, Let me just interject. For one. the record, that's not Randy. That's the AFT's. Yeah. That's, that's the union yeah. Twitter feed. So it's who knows who's actually typing it. Uh, and, and we've all made typos. I don't think anyone alive has never made a typo. I've done it on Twitter. Probably a lot of people have. But you would think to me, to, uh, an education group wouldn't be making two in one tweet, nor Three. many more in a thread, as you said. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, so a lot of people pushed back against this by saying, you know, well, well you know, if, if, if teachers are tired, then just imagine how tired, you know, the private school teachers were or the private sector employees, the grocery store workers that actually had to show up to work in person in order to, to earn their paycheck or the people who or the parents who had to work their daytime jobs while trying to figure out what to do with uh, with their students in terms of le remote learning situations that weren't really working because the teachers unions fought to keep the schools closed for over a year. So a lot of people were just saying, we don't wanna hear it, Randy. And if anything, if you're gonna complain about the remote learning situation for your teachers, you kind of created that problem yourself by fighting to keep the schools closed. Yeah, some learning setups may have been pretty, pretty uh, tough for some teachers uh, to maybe they were doing the in-person plus the remote thing, or maybe they were just uh, having trouble with the remote systems, but then they could have went back to in-person instruction like they had been doing previous years. Yeah. Well, yeah, please. It's uh, how about the nurses being tired or maybe the pharmacists being tired during the heart of COVID or maybe supermarket workers who had to come put food on the shelves or all kinds of workers who went out didn't stay home while they were while COVID was raging at its worst levels and actually were working every day. Maybe they're more tired, Randy. Randy, Randy, um, Randy ratio is, is what we should call her uh, because even after all of that happened, it's been happening every single day. Every time she tweets, uh, people aren't, aren't aren't having it, and they're and they're calling her out on the gaslighting. But uh, now we see this continuous kind of um, reframing of the narrative, and now it's oh oh the poor teachers. This was just uh, from yesterday. She tweeted she tweeted this article out three times in a day. And this one, she says, quote, I'm seeing a level of exhaustion, trauma, and burnout that I haven't seen. But at the same time, our members are soldiering on. No group of people have been as creative and flexible in their adaption to the challenges of the pandemic. This is the Boston Te Teachers Union. I replied with several screenshots of them uh, protesting reopening of schools month after month. I think you mean Baltimore. But Sorry, BT yeah. Baltimore Teachers Union. Yes. Um, I, I replied with several screenshots of, of them rallying against reopening the schools over and over again over the past year. Um, yeah. So, but, but, you know, it's true that there, there, it could be true that in some places that the teachers were truly exhausted and that they had trouble over the past year, but to go out and say no group of people, no one else has been as creative and flexible as us. Like, like, pretty much saying we're better than these other groups of employees that have actually worked the entire time yeah. um, and, and full-time in person. 
Well, you know, if teachers are tired and they're irritable, maybe they're even angry, I say we should listen to one. Just maybe just say, hey, let's just let's hear what they say directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So uh, there's a suburb of Detroit called Gross Point, Michigan. And there the, the school board was considering changing its social distancing from six feet to three feet. Wow, well, that's why a would they do, that's, <laughs> Why would they do that out of nowhere? <laughs> and then they were going to do something else. Oh, yeah, they were going to change their quarantine. like from 12, 14 days shut down to 10 days. Like if kids turned out to have COVID, how long do you shut down before you let, you know, oh, let's now only shut down for 10 days if one of the kids has COVID as a whole school, so, uh, that kind of thing. So this teacher decides to go up to the microphone at this Michigan school board meeting. And before he gives his resignation, he has a few choice words for the school board. And hold up. This video was produced by Now This. It's a left-leaning group that posts all these videos. And they posted this trying to show like how heroic this teacher was for standing up to the school board. Well, you, no, I think no, just to, no, actually, no, this is the one. This is not their version. This is the one oh, this, without the you, text. You told this the is other. the raw. Oh, yeah. man. You should have told <laughs> well, we can play the other the, one if you want. We now, can play you this to, one. We'll play the, yeah. just, just go to my Twitter, everybody, if you want to see the now this version. It's, 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 it's just great. But here's, yes. Thanks, Bob. The actual version, unedited, not trying to make the teacher look like some su stupendous hero for standing up to the school board. Check it out. The teachers in this district are experts, experts in education. We've been highly trained through advanced degrees and years of experience to make the best educational decisions for our students. I have 10 years of experience, two postgraduate degrees in education. I'm a licensed K-12 administrator and a district level department chair. I'm more qualified to make educational decisions for our students, except for one person, everybody here has less experience or actual knowledge of what life is like in our classrooms. Like you've done to my colleagues, you've disregarded my experience, my professionalism, and my expertise and reality, and substituted it with your fantasies. You're listening to them. They don't know what happens in our classrooms. They're not there, and neither are you. You sit up on this stage, which by the way, I hope you enjoy the space you have here. This does not exist in our classroom. And you tell us after your meetings that you so appreciate and respect us. Well, I cry bullshit. You don't respect us. If you respected us, you'd listen to us. You don't appreciate us. If you did, you wouldn't make our jobs literally impossible to do. If you cared, you would pretend that you're listening, at least. I sent you an email months ago expressing my concern about our full face-to-face -face return, and I didn't get a single response from any of you, not one, not even a message received. I helped get many of you elected to this board, and you couldn't even be bothered to hit reply. If you actually respected me and my colleagues, you'd prove it with your actions. Instead, you'll make your vote tonight, basically a foregone conclusion because you're trying to ram it through in a single meeting, and then you'll get to the end of the meeting where you say that you do respect us. Last time we were here, John told you that teachers were angry. You could probably tell that that was true. He said, though, that it wasn't about the, uh, any decisions at the board level. It was the situation. We're not angry about the situation. We can't control COVID. We're angry at you. We are angry at you. And angry is a nice way of putting it. You've done more damage to our students, our district, and our profession in the last 12 months than we've seen in the last decade. Keep going down this path, and I'll be surprised if our number one teachers even stick around. I know I'm not. I submitted my resignation to 389 last week, and I'm looking forward to doing something that's going to be valued and appreciated, not lied to and belittled. Listen to your teachers. We're number one in spite of this board, not because of it. If you trust that's us to minutes. plug a bullet wound, 
You should trust us with this. That's three minutes. And then they cut him off. He used up his three minutes. <laughs> Corey, I, can't, I can't roll my eyes even any further. <laughs> no, I, I wanted here. So first of all, I mean, there's so many great parts to it. Let's start with the fact that he says, we're qualified, we're qualified, we're qualified. Now, we sent you our concerns about the epidemiological analysis of COVID and why reopening in the way you're about to do it. Like, they're not qualified in that subject. He, his... His claim of qualifications about teaching had nothing to do with his anger that they had ignored his COVID letter. They this is a lot of time. A lot of times, this is what happens. In other words, when you have some of these suburban districts where they actually don't just take the marching orders from the teachers' union, Thank right? You. Because they have a lot more parental feedback sometimes, and they're held more account by parents sometimes. You heard him say it himself. Well, you're listening to them. He was pointing at the parents in the room. As if how dare these school board members listen to these parents? They don't have a master's degree in you know how to teach, I don't know, you know, art to foreign speakers or something. Like I do, I have that master's degree. Like, and then he goes on to, to say he's angry because they didn't listen to him about COVID, Ugh. which he doesn't have expertise in. Dude, anyway, this, it's just ahead. it's just a constant appeal to authority was his entire testimony. Oh, look at how great I am. I have degrees. Oh, I, I, I have 10 years of experience teaching. But you're listening to the CDC guidance that said it's okay to do three feet instead of six feet. Oh, how dare you not listen to me? I'm a teacher. Oh, right. come on, dude. And then for him to, to step on the parents like that and to belittle them by pointing them out and saying, I can't believe you're listening to the parents. That's the problem with the school system, that the school boards don't listen to the parents and listen to the dang employees in the system. I'm glad. I mean, it's it's probably great that those parents are probably happy that he that he quit his job. It would be the um, kind of thing if one of us wrote or the Babylon Bee wrote, teacher is angry that school board listens to parents. The other that, side would say, oh, that's a straw man. We would never say something like that. We're not angry when they listen to parents. That's yeah. a ridiculous exaggeration of what's going Oh, that's the, the reality is nothing like that. No, here he actually says what we've always long said. They don't like to admit out loud. And he admitted it out loud. He's angry that they're listening to parents. And this is, of course, happens to be a wealthy suburb where it's more likely for these districts to do. Unfortunately, a lot of urban districts where there are lower income parents who struggle with multiple jobs, who have dif more difficult lives because of financial stress, they are not as engaged and have the time and as educated to go toe to toe with school board members and complain when things are not going the right way. So a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of time these urban districts are run even worse than the suburban districts because the parents are less engaged. Here you have a suburban district, the parents are more, more engaged. And what that means is the teachers union has less power and it's making him mad. Yeah, and I just can't believe, I mean, is he, is he teaching children that the best way to make an argument is to appeal to authority? That's a, that's a logical fallacy. I think that's why we have so many problems in our society today, that you have too many teachers teaching children not to use logic. And so instead, they paint their enemies, ideological enemies, with um, with malevolence. And so we have intolerance in society and political polarization because people aren't learning how to deal with others based on the logic of their arguments. And instead, they're questioning their character uh, right away or appealing to authority or committing other logical fallacies or committing ad hominem, for example. Yeah, we, so, we couldn't, I would have wanted, I, we couldn't have scripted him to say anything better than, you're listening to them. Like with, with that condescension and that 
outrage and that and just the the whole just the whole uh, dismissal of parents as you know maybe actually the parent knows a lot more about a particular son or daughter than you do, sir, because maybe you have you know twenty five kids you're worried about in the classroom, and maybe that parent knows a lot more about that one kid than you do, and you should respect that. Yeah, and I mean just uh, the. Somebody just really doesn't want to go back to work in person with with too many students in the classroom. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, he's going to go on to something else right now. He's maybe I mean, he's going to you know the, cure the, cancer. The, yeah, I mean, Randy might be right that some teachers are exhausted. It's exhausting fighting so hard to prevent yeah, right. from going back to work. It's hard. It's hard. I work think you know. I think and, he's mad because I think he he his little team of teachers union people is not being listened to. This is my theory. I don't know the man personally. My theory is that he's watching all these other big districts get all kinds of yeah. largesse, and he's uh, and they're not and they're not he's not winning. But uh, this is the version you were talking about right there, though. Yeah, right. That's the now hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they or they were this. just oh this is so awesome. Oh oh, and then that, at the end they they go oh yeah oh, they even. I'm a licensed administrator. I'm a district level department chair. More qualified. I'm, I'm the assistant business. deputy half superintendent vice chairman of the committee <laughs> to, to increase learning potential. <laughs> I I'm more qualified than just one. I'm more qualified than everybody in here. Than just one person. It's like, man, dude, you yeah. couldn't stop. You couldn't stop. Yeah. I my caption was this is free advertising for school choice and it has over 140,000 so views. Um, we keep using that less same line see, keeps applying. Hey, Randy, Randy, why got talks? It's free advertising for school choice. This guy, a lot of people. It's true. You're you're standing there saying don't listen to the parents. Parents better you better listen to that yeah. and and realize where you are on the totem pole when it comes to the education system. And I think this is why we're seeing so much school choice victories over this past year, this kind of stuff. But then just everything that we've seen, uh, it's been a total bunch of nonsense. Families have been getting a bad deal and they're finally figuring it out. This is a guy who needs to study why uh, military people don't become secretary of defense. They're civilians that become secretary of defense. Why is that? Because of autonomy and the aversion to groupthink and how organizations are bet, tend to be better run by somebody who's not subsumed in the prevailing culture, especially this kind of culture that's festered for not decades, but generations. Somebody who from the outside is often brings fresh approach. Speaking of science, I have two studies to go over real quick. Uh, one because that I, that I um, really wanted to talk about because Randy Weingarten misrepresented its findings on social media. Um, she's complaining about how public schools can't force kids to wear masks in Texas. She's uh, upset about the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, um, uh, having a, an order saying that they can't force kids to wear masks. And she's tweeting out that last week, a study conducted by the CDC found that masks were a key factor in stopping the spread of COVID. She doesn't link to the study, and I think the reason for that is because the study did not support what she was arguing for. If you look at the study from the CDC that just came out, it did not find a statistically significant effect of student mask requirements on COVID spread. Here's the quote from the study itself from the CDC. 
Quote, the 20% lower incidence in schools that required mask use among students was not statistically significant compared with schools where mask use was optional. Wow. So she was taking the raw differences and reporting it as if it was a statistically significant effect when it wasn't. You can't say it's any different than zero. Uh, so there's no evidence from the studies to suggest that forcing kids to use masks in schools uh, reduced incidence of COVID. Mm-hmm. And then there's one other study uh, on the topic that came out from Emily Oster and her team. She's at Brown University. They had that COVID response dashboard. And a lot of people have already looked at that and said, oh, look, the schools that have masks are no different than the schools without masks as far as COVID risk. Uh, but they also did additional regression analyses using data from Florida, New York, and Massachusetts in this study. And in the abstract, you can see it says that they reported the correlation of mitigation practices with staff and student COVID case rates in Florida, New York, and Massachusetts during the 2020-2021 school year, da-da-da-da-da. They found that it says, quote, we do not find any correlations with mask mandates. So again, here, there is no evidence that mask mandates in these states, these schools, were associated with reductions of COVID risk. You just basically got it exactly wrong. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And this is two studies here. Uh, oh, right. Okay. The one she right. cited was from CDC researchers, did not find that. The one all, that also came out just a couple of days ago, I want to say, I think it was May 21st from the Brown University researcher, Emily Oster and her team, again, finding no statistically significant relationship. Um, Okay, well, speaking of masks, there's a set of schools that will be requiring masks next fall. Now, why they're prepared to announce this already now, it seems odd to me. It's uh, May. I guess it's the end of May, but we're not even in Memorial Day weekend yet. uh, And yet they're already ready to declare what will be needed for the fall. But that's what happened in New York City, where the mayor, with with this infuriating grin on his face, at least to me, was announcing, hey, everything's going to be great because we're going to have schools completely open again. And let's play that clip. So I'm very pleased to announce New York City public schools will fully reopen in September. Every single child will be back in the classroom. I have talked to so many parents who have been wanting to hear this confirmed, and I am confirming it. And this has been such a tough year, what parents have been through, what kids have been through. It's time for everyone to come back. It's time for us all to be together. It's time to do things the way they were meant to be done. All the kids in the classroom together, getting a great education. Unless the union wants more money and they they say, hey, there's another strain out there. We can elicit more money by saying we're not going to show up unless you pay us more. Then, wow, I guess he'll change his mind. And you know, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is how this has gone over the past year with New York City. They they when they first announced having some kids back on certain days, I think they switched the day like two or three times at least. You'd get up to the day, and then right before they'd say, oh, well, we, you know, we sat at the table with the union. They were happy. And this is what really happened in New York City. And even with they, when they opened schools or claimed that they opened schools, it was only for certain students. And then it was only for elementary schools, not for middle or high schools. 
Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens in the fall. Uh, they, they could pull the thing that they've pulled before and say, Oh, well, things changed. I know we said that months ago. Uh, now but does the insincerity drive you crazy, Corey? Like it does me. The what? The insincerity from these people. Does it drive you crazy? I can't stand it. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible. And the thing is that it, the whole problem is that the kids can't take their money somewhere else. I mean, they have no power in this relationship. They don't have a union representing them. Um, but if the money followed the child, they would have to think a little bit about these things that they're doing to, to the school system and, and particularly to families who, when, when teachers strike, it's the families who are left struggling and scrambling to figure out what to do with their children's educational needs. Uh, well, let's pair, let's pair that. Paid. Let's pair that quickly with a tale of two states. You know, what, if you could say what state is about as opposite from New York State as could be, you might say Oklahoma might be about as opposite as you could be. And you just said what troubles you about New York is that the kids can't take the money to go elsewhere. Well, an expansion of school choice in Oklahoma this week. I don't. You haven't seen this whole clip yet, I don't think, Corey. But, yeah, I saw uh, the, the shorter version. You saw the shorter version. I'm not sure you saw the, what's about to play. So. Uh -huh. This is Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. We knew that uh, education was not a one-size-fits-all. You and your parents should have the freedom to attend the best school for you, regardless of your zip code or where you live. And wherever you go, the money should follow you. In Oklahoma, we fund students, not systems. There's 700,000 students in the state of Oklahoma kids school age. We want to make sure we, we give you, the student, the opportunity that you need to get the best education uh, for your future. From there, we expanded funding potential for the Equal Opportunity Scholarship Program. This is going to help low and middle income households with more education options. We made sure that no school could teach that one race or sex is superior to another race or sex that every first grader would learn history without being labeled as an oppressor or to feel guilt or shame based on their race or their sex. We created the Redbud Fund to create a level playing field for poor rural or charter schools. And just yesterday, I signed a budget that invests a record $3.2 billion in our public education system. What do you think? Boom. Money <laughs> quote, right? This is my favorite quote. Uh, in Oklahoma, we fund students, not systems. Man, I'm going to have to cite him whenever I say that going forward. Because <laughs> They're going to say you're stealing his line. <laughs> I know. That's a, great, that's a great quote, Governor. Governor yeah. Stitt. But yeah, they, they expanded their tax credit scholarship cap amount from what was it like 2.5 million to about 25 million or something. It was a huge expansion in Oklahoma. That's a win. Of course, there's more a uh, long, long way to go towards universal educational freedom over there in Oklahoma, but Hey, they, they, they got a win and it's a step in the right direction. And charter school funding equity, the concept that was more the state board of education, but nevertheless, they're pi they pioneered this idea in Oklahoma to say, hey, maybe the same child in a public school doesn't deserve less if it's non-unionized than if it's unionized. So that's kind of a, a shock or two. As far as um, states that have passed legislation, 
American Federation for Children is tracking this. If you go to a post called the Year of School Choice uh, at the American Federation for Children, we're putting in all of the, the law, the, the states that have signed laws to expand or enact new uh, school choice programs. We have Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, South Dakota, Kentucky, West Virginia, Iowa, and Oklahoma, as you just saw in the video. Uh, but then also Jason Bedrick has a post from yesterday calling this the year of educational choice is here. And he, he has the number at 13 different states. I think he's counting states that haven't necessarily been signed yet, but they've been passed by state legislatures. And uh, on another good note uh, from Jason Bedrick, 13 states have enacted 18 new or expanded choice programs. And he also notes at the very end that his team is expecting at least six more states to get something um, as far as an expansion of educational freedom. So I think we're, all of our groups are claiming victory and claiming this as the year of school choice. Uh, 10 years after the Wall Street Journal in 2011 declared that the year of school choice. I think we're having more success than 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 that year. I, I just wanted to hit the story about the San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco USD Teachers Union endorsing mm -hmm. the boycott of Israel. I don't mean for this to become a debate about Middle East policy or about Israel generally. I just I just bring this up to say those who, who think teachers unions our educational organizations have, have not been paying attention to so much work, not just endorsements like this, but money that they've given to causes that have nothing to do with children at all, educating American kids at all. This is just the latest example of it, but it's just yet again, we see teachers unions proving that they are doing all kinds of kind of social engineering or societal causes or matters that are outside of American kids. This is the same school district that I just wrote about in National Review for opening for one day for one grade level to get millions of dollars from the state government's top-down incentive to as a, to reopen schools. They they did the bare minimum, which was open for a day for one grade level, which was for seniors. Yeah. Um, to, After they've been sued to, by their own city government. The city government sued the district, not even the union. The city government sued the school district. But I think the school district was in lockstep with the union at that point in time in COVID. And they were kind of owned by the union who basically said, we just, we want to work from home for as long as we feel like it. That was kind of their position, no matter same, what anyone else says. Same school district that had kids returning to classrooms, young kids to do Zoom in a room where uh, they were still doing Zoom, even though they were going back to the classrooms because the teachers weren't returning to the classrooms and childcare workers from the private sector were going back in to the classrooms. So um, still problems with remote learning for the children, uh, same, doing the same thing they would have been doing at home without face-to-face -face instruction with the, with the actual teachers. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And it goes to show you that the kids aren't prioritized. The adults in the system uh, are prioritized when it comes to K-12 education in so many places, especially places that have stronger teachers unions. But to get to this story, I mean, yeah, what, you don't even have to take a side on Israel or not. I don't to, intend to. To, to say, look, this is um, maybe this isn't the role of the union 
to play with the teachers union, but they are inherently political organizations. You go to the uh, Randy Weingarten's Twitter account, for example, the head of the second largest teachers union in the United States, the American Federation of Teachers, 1.7 million members. And she constantly rails against conservatives and Republican issues. And I wonder what oh, issues of gun control and climate change and issues of health care policy, Medicare for all and defunding the police and uh, on and on. All uh, kinds of, the, yeah, all had to do all those things in order to reopen the schools uh, because, uh, you know, this is about politics and power. It's not really about safety. Um, but look, I, I mean, I just wonder, like, how do these teachers feel who are conservatives? Because there's a lot more conservative teachers than what the teachers unions campaign contributions and um, uh, political activity would actually suggest. Or so, even just centrists, even just yeah. centrists. Maybe, yeah. maybe some people believe in some of those things and not all of them, and, but the other ones, they're kind of like, wait a minute, why are, you, why are you doing this other thing? So, yeah. All right, go yeah. ahead, your turn. Uh, we have a couple more things. Uh, one of them that I wanna hit on, I was talking about how 13 states have expanded school choice already this year, thinking about six more, I believe one of those six that are floating around in the mind of Jason Bedrick from MedChoice just might be Illinois. Illinois is a blue state, but they do have an existing tax credit scholarship Small program. Small tax credit scholarship. That's and true. they're trying to protect it. And one of our friends, Virginia Walden Ford, who actually wrote a chapter in my co-edited book with uh, Neil McCluskey, School, School Choice Miss, met with the Speaker of the House, a Democrat, in Illinois, and he's over here tweeting today uh, to, to, to have everybody check out Virginia's inspiring life story in a, in a major motion, motion picture called Miss Virginia, which outlines her fight to get the school choice program in DC enacted. And that's on Netflix, and it's a huge uh, documentary or, or major, major motion picture in favor of school choice. So this is a pretty powerful signal from Illinois coming from their Speaker of the House. And maybe this means, um, uh, maybe this is a signal of things to come in Illinois, wow. either protecting or expanding their program. Wow. Wow. If, well, I mean, ima imagine if uh, Miss Virginia, which is not a, a film about a beauty pageant, by the way, the, the Miss Virginia title, I think, confused people but to some of them. But uh, no, if Miss Virginia Walden Ford, uh, imagine if she... Imagine if she was able to get Chicago, you know, kids in Chicago uh, school choice the way she got vouchers in D.C., uh, you know, nearly single handedly. Wow. Anyway. That would be amazing. Yeah. So I, I thought that was worth checking out because we're mostly, you know, all these states that have passed things. Essentially, all of them are red states, uh, but Illinois may be an exception. Yeah. Well, purple states, too. Purple, I mean, red. Yeah. Yeah. Florida. Wisconsin's purple and, you know, uh, Ohio is swing state. A lot of there are places, private school choice program states that are swing. But um, uh, all right. So I wanted to also bring up another issue, which is it's not new for schools to require vaccinations. I think most of us know this it comes to like, you know, measles and, you know, uh, certain other I've forgotten them all. Polio and tetanus. And I don't know. Maybe not a tetanus. I've forgotten the list of them. But we all know all those. yeah, all the MMR. Right. There's a bunch of those that have been. It's not new for schools to require those. And so the question, though, is coming along with this uh, COVID vaccine and what and, and the fact it's been emergency use authorization for the COVID vaccine. 
and it's not legal to require it, at least while it's still emergency authorized by, by the FDA. So, uh, but that said, there are schools that are going all in, uh, what I call them is government run vaccination centers using schools. In other words, never before with the MMRs where they're having schools involved in giving shots to kids. They're doing that now. And there was a news story from the Morning Joe show covering it. School districts nationwide are helping students ages 12 and up get vaccinated as part of the push to have all students back in the classroom this fall. Beginning this week here in Contra Costa County, high school and middle school campuses will be hosting vaccination clinics starting Tuesday here at Concord High School and at Antioch Middle School shots will be available. Surrounded by track practice, Seattle firefighters on Raider Field gave students the COVID-19 vaccine. It's one of six clinics on Monday that took place throughout Seattle public schools. We saw kids and their parents lining up the line, stretching outside of the door of the gym for the vaccination event here at Carver Middle School. Now, Lake County Schools is hosting vaccination events at four different schools in the district this week. A similar effort in Dallas, where students old enough to get the shot and who had their parents' permission were bused from their school campus to a Dallas County Health Department vaccine hub. Hmm. So far, 600,000 of the 17 million eligible children have received their first shot. So what do you think about this, Corey? Schools need to be used as centers to give shots now, basically I don't know, vaccinations to kids. Um, we never needed the schools to do that before. Yeah, I don't, I don't see um, why the school would need to be a vaccination center. I don't know what, a, what, what, where else would be a better place to do it. Maybe just the regular hospitals. Um, but there, there are uh, drugstores to do it now. Walgreens, yeah. and there are you know different supermarket oh. drugstores do it. And uh, I, I don't think I mean early on you could argue there was a rush for vaccines, and you couldn't couldn't get an appointment, and mm. you had to be they had to stage which categories were eligible before other categories. Not anymore. I think the vaccinations are widely available everywhere, at least in America. Yeah, so wonder, I'm not I wonder, sure. I I wonder. Um, I bet they get money for it. Well, yeah. I wonder if there's like a funding incentive to do it for the school or yeah. At when, what times of day they would be doing it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they're getting, they're getting money for it. It's a, it's a new business model. It's a new revenue model. I is think it, this is my theory. I don't think it was needed. I think, I think you can go to all these drugstores and get it, but they, so what, what, plus, do you, what do you think about Randy Weingarten tweeting a bunch of these things about how, the vaccine for children is a game changer and a path to reopening the schools or in person. Do you think she's signaling that she's going to call to require vaccinations of children under the age of 12 in order to reopen schools fully or? No, I think it's more of the <coughs> reputation rehabilitation project on her mm -hmm. part, mm -hmm. where because of what we talked about last <laughs> week, when you and I both just started listing all these cities across the U.S. where teachers unions have stopped schools from opening. Uh, and then we we just actually put that video out as a, as a short video yesterday, and then it got quickly got over 1,200 views uh, in less than in just a few hours. Um, she's trying to rewrite history mm -hmm. with this new version that, oh, she so wants schools open. She's now trying to appear that way so that ah. that would be 
that will be what's what's you know kept in the memory. Now, I still think if there's some new variant coming along, they will jump. They've probably already had meetings about how quickly she's already talking about it. She's already talking. Oh, yeah, about it. I bet they have big giant plans with you know enormous sort of motivational kind of deployment processes all set up and staging sequences of staging the different divisions and operations for for media messaging the next time there's a new variant that they can use as a lever to i think we should say legally extort money a form of legal extortion i think we should use the word a form of legal extortion by the way Coria, so we don't get accused of uh, of slander but because uh, it's not technically extortion if it's legal but that said <laughs> i I think they can I think she can't wait for to use another variant as an excuse to do it all over again. But for now, this is the period where she's trying to seem like she wants schools open. Yeah, when she says this is the game changer, it's her way to say, "Oh, it wasn't us that kept the schools closed. It was that the vaccine wasn't available. That's why the schools were closed. We had nothing to do with it. We weren't fighting over and over again while private schools were open for our schools to remain closed so that we can get more money from taxpayers and more uh, benefits in terms of um, not having to go to go to provide in-person instruction so that we can vacation on the beach in Puerto Rico. That's not what it was about. It was this other thing. Yeah. I think she's trying to change the narrative. So that's a good point. Yeah. The day after the bank robber leaves the bank with the bags full of cash and they stow and hide the money somewhere, they come out and say, hey, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's just uh, let's start fresh. You know, we, we want to end all bank robberies. We want to just, you know, let's get past all of this awful period of bank robberies so we can move on to a new future where there are no bank robberies as their money has been freshly stored. Didn't she tweet something like, uh, this isn't the time for the blame game or something? Yeah, yeah. That was when she most, that's really what gave me that that response. Yeah, hold up. Oh, oh, hold up. There it is. I'm quick, man. Boom. Uh, she must have been on TV or something, but the, the union account tweeted it out from her quote. I say we put, we, I say we, we be, well, I say uh -oh. we because the, the more, the, we, the we AFT, have to be AFT all in. tweeter strikes again. Yeah, maybe, I, oh, maybe I say we because we, we yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's not time to do the blame game. So yeah, I think a lot of people re re replied to that too yeah. saying, um, and you were one of them that replied saying like, yeah, this is like a bank robber trying to say like, yeah, let's, let's forget about everything that happened. Of course you want to forget about it. You were the one that, that caused all these problems. Uh, yeah. so yeah, that was, um, I think that was pretty much the last story. I had one more that's kind of depressing. Maybe, I didn't want to end on this story, but it's the last. Oh, one that's left. all right. We'll do it. Yes, we'll we'll find a way to spin it where all right. a silver lining. Well, well, yeah, or not. Don't, don't speak too soon. Here comes. Okay. Um, so this children's yes, hospital in Colorado this, yes. declared a state of emergency. This was a report from yesterday for pediatric uh, children's mental health issues, and they reported in there that there was a. Here it is from the article. The quote, the demand for acute behavioral services has increased by 90% in 2021 compared to 2019, almost completely doubling. For many weeks during 2021, the top reason for presenting to the, uh, presenting to the emergency department has been due to suicide attempt, he said. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're so still seeing very, issues. 
I'm sorry, I stepped on you there. Go ahead. No, yeah, I'm just saying we're still seeing issues with. I mean, we don't have a ton. We have a lot of um, survey data suggesting mental health issues on the rise for children. We have that school district from Clark County, Nevada, fifth largest public school district in the nation, reporting a doubling of student suicides relative to the previous year. Now we have this uh, 90% increase almost doubling in acute behavioral health services, which were largely in part due to suicide attempts for children. It's absolutely horrific that this is happening and still happening to kids uh, across the nation. From the beginning of the pandemic, I was saying, <clears throat> we need to compare two things as we set policy. That is the human suffering from the virus compared to the human suffering from the lockdowns. And every time we make a decision, we need to weigh those two things. What I saw in so many places, including where I am, the People's Republic of New Jersey, is they were not balancing those two things. They were looking only at the COVID numbers and let's do everything to do. Of course, they weren't looking that hard if, since they sent COVID positive patients to nursing homes, which resulted in the deaths of thousands of, of elderly citizens who, so they didn't exactly minimize COVID deaths, but at least, they, at least according to what they were trying to do, it was the stated policy was to minimize COVID deaths without very much concern for the human suffering from lockdowns. Stories like this make me want to run up to Governor Murphy in New Jersey and just shove this in his face and say, do you see this now? Do you see the harm of the lockdowns now? Have you? At what point did you see the harm of the lockdowns? Because some of these governors seem to cling on to the lockdowns for dear life, for as long as yeah, it's I mean, they weren't they weren't thinking like economists by 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 looking at trade offs. You know, the cost of keeping the schools closed, the cost of locking down versus the benefits of locking down, or, or the benefits of uh, reducing the virus r relative to the cost of attempting to re reduce the virus. We didn't, and we're looking at both sides of the equation. I don't I don't want to say that, or I do want to say that I don't believe that this was intentional. I think these are unintended consequences of these overbearing government policies. And the, re and the reason for that, it was only was because of too many officials looking at one side of the equation and not the other. And here we are you know, over a year later, looking at some of those um, unintended effects of these overbearing government policies and, and partially probably due to the school closures as well. Well, I can't believe it. We're almost an unofficial summer. Do you have big plans for the summer, Corey? No, not really. I have some conferences that are starting up again, which will be fun. And I'll see you at one of those in South Dakota in July. At Mount Rushmore. Well, not Freedom. literally at Mount Rushmore, but <laughs> near Mount Rushmore. Rapid City is the city near Mount Rushmore. And uh, I was there, oh, when I was back in my early 20s, I was driving out to grad school and I hit Mount Rushmore back then, long ago. But uh, so it'll uh, it'll be my triumphant return. <laughs> but I do, I did love that area. It's like, it's, uh, you know, so much of it, if you're, I was driving across the state, and if you're if you're heading westbound across South Dakota, the whole almost the whole state is just flat on flat on flat, just you know the Badlands as it's called, until you finally hit that little sort of western edge of South Dakota, and suddenly all these lush green mountains are everywhere. So I look forward to being back. Yeah, and last time that we were both at Freedom Fest together was in Vegas. I don't remember what hotel it was, maybe Paris Hotel. Yes. And we were debating doing a mock trial, uh, the case against the 
failing public school system and we were making the case for school choice. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. It'll be great to reconvene at this huge uh, meeting. I think that over 2,500 uh, participants have already signed up. Excellent. All right, well, thanks for watching, everybody. Another edition of Random Assignment. That man is Corey DeAngelis from American Federation for Children. I am Bob Bowden from Choice Media. We'll see you next time.